0: Good paraphrase, that translation, New Living Translation. It sort of unpacks it all without really saying anything more. So I'll go and sit down. (laughs) How many times do I have to tell you? You ever said that? No. You ever had it said to you? I have it said to me regularly. Not not exactly those words, but the sentiment behind them. Because uh, there's quite a lot of things that I... No, but I don't do. I sort of forget. But it's probably one of those phrases, particularly when you're young, but it does apply to us older folk, that is said a lot. Because there are some things we just never seem to learn. We learn them perhaps up here to a large extent, but then we quickly either blank them out, forget them or just push them to the back of our minds Galatians 3 starts the chapter not the bit that we read, the beginning of it starts really by Paul saying how many times do I have to tell you, he's not literally saying that but I think that is the sentiment behind what he's written and to me you can sense kind of frustration even Anger, certainly disappointment about the people he's writing to. You can sense that coming through those words. And I think we can probably all identify with that feeling. When something that seems obvious to me, something that seems sort of natural or sensible, seems to be difficult for somebody else to grasp. How are you with technology? I come from the era when the television was playing up you gave it a thump and it generally started to work again either because the aerial moved or the valve reseated itself or something like that. But if you've got a computer and I guess most people these days have have you had one of those moments when it seems to be having a mind of its own and you start Pushing this, pressing that. Randomly pressing keys until when all else fails, you switch it off. And then you switch it on again. You've got no idea what you're doing. No idea what it's going to do any good. Maybe you can identify with the guy who had similar problems and everything locked up. He had every button on the keyboard nothing would get the computer going again so he had to go to an expert took it along to the expert explained what had happened and you know the specialist sort of behind his hand goes mm, do you we go again and he just did a couple of things very simple things and it all started to work again so the man said well Look, in case this happens again, can you tell me what the problem was? So the expert said it was an ID10T error. So he said, well, look, how do I make sure next time? He said, look, just write that down. And next time it happens, just tell them it's an ID10T error. Paul doesn't mess around in this letter. He's already been going on at them at some length. And then for a while, he seems to pause for breath for a minute. And then he has this very seemingly unchristian thought You're a load of idiots! The word is foolish. But the original meaning, the original language, it meant no brainers. So I think it's legitimate to say he was calling them idiots. He's upset because he knows the grace of God has been given to them. It's been posted on billboards. In the uh, translation it says it's been clearly portrayed that Christ was crucified. But the word for portrayed is a word that's used to uh, identify public notice. So it's quite legitimate, I think, to say it's been posted on billboards. It's been made abundantly clear that Jesus Christ was crucified for them, for you. And this is a game changer. You know this, he's saying. You know this. And yet, you're turning your back on it. You're forgetting it. You're living as though you didn't know it. Have you really forgotten already? How many times do you have to be told? And that's really what Galatians is. It's just keep going on at them all the way through. Surely you know. You can't have forgotten, but you're acting as though you have forgotten. We know that forgetting, conveniently forgetting sometimes, is a very human trait. And I think that's why Jesus instituted communion he did say do this to remember me because we forget if we don't do something on a regular basis we forget it do this to remember me and Paul is saying now think back think back to when you were first aware of the Holy Spirit in your life he's saying this in the early part of chapter 3 And then he says, look at the ongoing evidence of the power of God in your life. These surely are not just evidence of you following correct procedures, behaviours. It's a gift of God because you chose to believe and trust in Jesus. Now, what he's really, uh, when he poses these questions, it's a rhetorical question, he knows the answer, they knew the answer it's more than head knowledge, it's more than law keeping you know, there are many good people today, and I guess always have been, who will call themselves Christian because they've looked into this God question at some point and they said, yeah I guess this is true And they very probably read the Bible and very often will be going to church on a regular basis. They know about God. But then there's loads of people around the world who have had a similar experience in a different context. They've looked into other belief systems. They live according to a set of rules or a philosophy They become what we would call card-carrying members of whatever that system is. But that's just religion. religion. It applies to atheism just as much. It applies to veganism. Veganism has become a religion. Because you just learn about it, you subscribe to it, you believe in it, you follow its practices, you live by the rules. And that's the equivalent to living according to the law. There's millions, I guess, perhaps, people that, under the banner of Christianity, are doing exactly that. They're going through the motions. Now, don't get me wrong, we can and we should seek after God's ways. We call that discipleship. But ultimately, regardless of how much knowledge we accumulate, regardless of how our behaviours have altered to conform to the teaching of Jesus, it's only the Holy Spirit that brings us faith, saving faith. Because it's about experience. It's about life change in, within, not without. That comes, hopefully, but it's about life change within. Spiritual encounter, experience in the presence of God. Which is a gift from God. Hebrews 11, that famous chapter. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Yep, And that he earnestly reward, He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Seek him. Not seek his ways, seek him. But people steeped in the law, in the practice, were having a major influence on this Galatian church. They would be arguing, for better off or for worse, it's always been like this. This is the way we've always done it, since Abraham. So Paul says, consider Abraham. He believed God. And it was this that credited him, him as righteous. So he says, okay, let's go back. Let's go back to Abraham and we'll find that the root of Abraham's experience is faith. And faith is at the heart of Judaism. Their spiritual roots, that's what Hebrew 11 is all about. The, the heroes of faith and it lists a whole load of people who are great faith people, including Abraham. And when we think back, you know, it's a really fascinating story about Abraham. Just the, the opening part. When God first revealed himself to Abraham, he was a Gentile. There was no such thing as the people of God. There were no such thing as Jews. Jews. Now, one of the questions I want to ask when I get to the pearly gates, or hopefully when I get through the pearly gates, <laughs> is what actually happened? Now, there's loads of questions like this that I want an answer to. hope I might get. Perhaps I won't, it won't matter anymore when I get to that stage. But at this point in time, I'd love to know the answer. All we're told is that God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Abraham. Now the nation of Israel didn't exist. The law didn't exist. And God says to Abraham, I will bless all the peoples of the world through you. No restrictions. And he had to go on a journey into the unknown. Leave what was familiar familiar and emigrate. Lock, stock and barrel, go. Go. But what actually happened? It obviously was a pretty powerful experience, whatever it was. But that's the context in which it was said of Abraham Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Did Abraham at that point already know God? Doesn't tell us. Did Was he just walking around one day and suddenly this voice boomed into his head and suddenly thought, oh, there must be a God? Or was there already some awareness of God? We don't know. All we do know is that God spoke to him and promised him that he would walk through his life with him. All he wanted, God wants in return is faith, And obedience. And even when it comes to obedience, he can cope with less than 100%, which is fortunate for most of us. And that's why it's called grace. Remember, at this stage, there's no law, no no, circumcision. And thankfully, we've given that up as well. As far as we know, Abraham hadn't done anything to deserve this attention from God. They no, he might have done I don't know. But on the face of it, he hasn't any more than Israel had done anything to become the chosen people. They were chosen through God's grace. So Paul says, when you look at it like this, the true sons of Abraham aren't those who have been circumcised. They're not those who follow the law It's those who believe in and encounter God. Judaism, and therefore our Christian faith, is not performance-based. Hallelujah. It's faith or grace-based. Now, to turn around to people who are steeped in Judaism and tell them that, obviously it was a shock because Jesus has already been doing that and had encountered all kinds of opposition because he was saying it. And Paul again is saying it. But to people who had already experienced this, and had forgotten it, and were drifting back to their old ways. And remember, law in our context isn't just about all those rules and regulations. It's about anything that we consider to be what we would call legalism. If you don't behave like this, if you don't that, you don't do this, you can't be a good Christian. And you know, sadly today, that even applies to, if you don't worship in the same way as I do, then you can't be a good Christian. It was even more so when I was growing up. Because if you raise your hands, you're of the devil. Well, it's always been a problem, perhaps always will be, but this is the message of Galatians. except the grace, the unconditional love of God. And Paul is saying you've already experienced that. You've already done that. You've already been given a gift of faith because it's what started you on your spiritual journey. And remember God gave you that gift, just like, well perhaps Abraham, just like when you were ungodly, when you didn't know God and perhaps were living ungodly lives. God gave you that gift of faith. So, surely it's obvious to you then that the law, religious orthodoxy, in whatever guise it's dressed, dressed up, and it's still around today, the law could not be the route of salvation. The law makes demands on us, it requires our obedience. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, offers God's promises. And just requires our acceptance. Now, the difference isn't academic. You know, it easily rolls off the tongue. But it's not an academic exercise because it affects her whole approach, her whole attitude. Imagine being given something you really wanted. Now, I know for Ewan it's a Ferrari, but he has to make do with a little old second hand sports car instead. But he really wants a brand new shiny red Ferrari. It might be a lovely new home. It might be a boat. It could be all sorts of things that you really would like. How would you react if you were told, here it is, you can have it. But then you were told, I'll always be watching you. I want to see how well you look after it, whether you use it in the right way, whether it changes your as it were, inward way of dealing with things by saying, look, am I I great? I've got this. I'm going to be expecting you all the time and if you slip up in any one of these areas to show that you're less than worthy of having received this gift, I'm going to take it away from you. It wouldn't be much of a gift really, would it? It would be a burden, an imposition, a threat hanging over you all the time. And yet that's probably what we do a lot of the time, even in our relationships. I will love you as long as you conform to what I think you should be and what you should do. Knowing that you've got that threat hanging over you that could so easily be lost if you put a foot wrong, is that in any way what you feel like? in your relationship with God? Because if it is, it's a performance-based relationship. The Galatians had been in a good place, so it seems. They had known grace and mercy, but it seems that they had been persuaded that that was too easy, something for nothing. They wanted to now make it a bit more difficult Now I do think it's hard I find it hard to receive something for nothing I don't know whether you do some people say yeah bring it on I find it difficult the classic of course is when it comes to Christmas cards and I have to admit I do nothing about Christmas cards but Sue does it all (laughs) a great blessing but it is one of those things isn't it We've had a Christmas card from so and so, we ought to send one back. Panic sets in. Or if somebody invites you out for a meal and you enjoy it and you think, well, when can we invite them back? I mean, that's probably the two classics, but there's a lot more situations where you feel compelled to respond in some way because somebody is being so generous to you. It can make us feel uncomfortable. And Paul said that when he preached Christ crucified, it was often a stumbling block or foolishness because it doesn't demand a price. It just asks for acceptance, faith. And that's what's so marvellous about the Gospel, yet at the same time can be so difficult. We don't get what we deserve, but we do get what we don't deserve. So perhaps we start to add conditions, not necessarily for ourselves, or that does work, but for other people. And we start looking at the way other people behave mostly. We all know, more often than not, it's behaviour that splits churches, not theology. You don't do it the right way. Doing church is about how we express our faith, it's about systems, it's about practices procedures. You know, back in the dim and distant past when I belonged to the Salvation Army as a young man, if you smoked or you drank alcohol, you couldn't be a member. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that's the way it was. If you went to a dance hall or even a football match, you were defrocked. You could not do those things, otherwise you were out. And that's similar to many other churches at the time and it may even be similar to some churches today. But that's doing church. That's not about faith. Following Jesus is about living in a faith relationship through the Holy Spirit. How we live, of course, is important. And some of those things, I mean, I don't recommend people smoke. I'm not sure that I would have kicked them out of the church because they smoked and say that they weren't a Christian because they smoked. It's about doing church, that is. But it's not the basis of our faith. And when what we do takes priority over our faith, we've lost the plot. And Paul says, how many times do you have to be told, don't be an idiot. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. Not from yourself, it's a gift of God. But you might say, well, if that's true, what's the purpose of the law? Is it redundant? Paul isn't saying the promise or covenant that was given through Abraham and Moses. It's not all being set aside. A promise is a promise, but that promise has been fulfilled in Jesus. We know that children need to understand from an early age what is right, and what is wrong, what is good, and what is not so good. If they don't, they'll grow up to be a law unto themselves. And that's the purpose of the law, to show us God's standard, therefore what's expected of us. It highlights our need to be rescued and the inevitability of getting it wrong. All who rely on observing the law under a curse, well, The operative word in all of this is cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book. If justification is performance based you've got to hit 100% or you're in trouble. Otherwise you're under a curse. If you go back to Deuteronomy where it lists all these things that you should not do at the end of it it says cursed is the man who does not uphold these laws all 100% of them. Now that's not a trap, it's setting the standard, God's standard, making it clear that we need forgiveness. We're not going to get it right. And that's why Paul goes on to say no one is justified by the law, the righteous live by faith. (laughs) Making us aware of our shortcomings is, is helpful. It's necessary but it identifies the problem, not the solution. If somebody keeps pointing out the problem, it's not very helpful. What you need is encouragement and that's what grace is, encouragement. So Paul sets out the problem but he sets out the solution, faith. And it's been fulfilled in Jesus. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus. When it says cursed, it means excluded, rejected. The law is fulfilled by Jesus taking our place, taking upon himself, the consequences of not living up 100% to the law. You know, we don't know what went on when Jesus was crucified. We're told darkness covered the land. Something deep was going on. Some people say he went to hell. The Apostles' Creed actually did say he descends into hell. Not quite sure that that is exactly what was going on. He certainly descended into the place of the dead, What I'm sure of is that he took my place and whatever happened to him is what should have happened to me so that I can be welcomed into the family of God. So, how many times do I have to tell you? Some years ago, I might mention this before, a friend of mine preached in a very old but small church in Hampshire been there for over 300 years and he preached on the Holy Spirit and afterwards as he was leaving one of the leaders shook his hand and said, thank you, he said but we've managed for the past 300 years without the Holy Spirit and I suspect we've managed for the next 300. His attitude was that church, faith was all about keeping the doors open. They kept regular services even though there was only a dozen most in the congregation. In performance, doing church was much more significant than faith. He thought he was doing God a favour by keeping the doors open. How much effort he put in was what it was all about. We still need to be reminded, however long we've been a follower of Jesus, we need to remind ourselves it's not performance, it's faith. We can easily fall into that mindset of trying to deserve our salvation. The reality is we deserve nothing but we've been given everything. How many times do I have to tell you in Jesus we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Praise God. I'm saved. Let's pray. Thank you Lord because in you, we have the assurance of salvation. We have the assurance of eternal life. We have the blessings of knowing you with us, in us, every day of our lives, and we'll continue into eternity. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit to enable us to live as the people of God, as you want us to be. But thank you that you don't condemn us when we are not living up to what we ought to be 100%. So again, Lord, just remind us this morning. It's through grace we have been saved. And it's through your generosity and love that we can continue to walk with you to know your presence in our lives. Lord, reaffirm that for each one of us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.